Exactly. So the cool thing is, is, and that's why we targeted the CMHCMLI is because it's such a significant lift that we want to take almost all of it out so we can redo this again once mm-hmm. we've proved concept. So basically, we'll be able to get 95% of that and take that back out. There are millions of real estate investors out there, and most are stuck with just a couple of properties. They want financial freedom, but their small portfolio ends up costing them more in time, effort, and money than it's worth. Getting out of the rat race seems harder than ever. This show will help you do more deals, better deals, and bigger deals. Finally, you'll be able to reach your income and lifestyle goals. How? By attracting and leveraging private money partners and their capital. Now get ready to raise more money because here's your host, Dave Dubow. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Let me ask you a question. At the time we're recording this, it's going to be late 2023. Let me ask you, are you having any challenges getting financing for your deals? Well, if you're up here in Canada, chances Uh, are, yes, you are. You're having a challenge with that. So our special guest today is Nicholas Brown, who is a real estate investor and also a professional mortgage broker. So Nicholas, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Hi, it's nice to uh, be on the show. It's started doing some outreach and, you know, this this one made sense and I'm excited to be on here, talk about the challenging of financing. The building that we're doing right now is a multifamily building. So excited to kind of share a bit on that. And yeah, I sure. just wanted to be able to jump on here and share some tips and tricks from my side. Obviously, I see a lot from the residential side all the way to multifamily. So hope they can lend some tips on that and see if I can well, provide some value. I'm sure you will. So first things first, you started out investing in real estate. Now you're an investor and a mortgage broker. So how did that all happen? Yeah. So originally, just like anybody else, the one part of investing I didn't quite get at the time was how the financing works. That was always like the scariest thing for me is like, I'd look at the numbers and I thought I understood them. And then you go and take it to a lender and all of a sudden everything's different. So that's what I didn't understand. And I came from a business background. So I knew like, if I learned the financing side, then I could be way more valuable. And that would help me too in future joint ventures and stuff like that. I could handle the financing and the money. So the way I came into the mortgage agent industry, I was first an internal audit and I was just being an investor. And then I met a mortgage agent. Some people might know Josh Finlay. And then that kind of took me on as a mentorship and was like, I'll teach you everything if you just give me a year of your life. So basically just worked all the long hours. How many years of your life ago was that? That was a year and a half ago. So that was one year. (laughs) Yeah. So jumped into the space. The cool thing about them is they were like really big on social media. So that's how they blew up. And so, yeah, like that year of mentorship, like I can't even, it's probably seven years of actual mortgage agent experience. I mean, the amount of files they did per month and everything and everything from, you know, single families and flips to multifamily and CMHC financing. So got to learn it all and now put it into practice. So it's been pretty exciting. And, and that's how I got into it. And, you know, from my side, I've just been building the brand and everything like that. But it's exciting. It's I so, still so work tell on me the a little bit files. more about your personal real estate investing journey. What do you do? For sure. We were talking a little bit offline. You got started with condos. What has yeah. that morphed into? What What's your sweet spot these days? Yeah. So right now, what we found out, like I said, we do a lot of CMHC financing. So we had to learn the ins and outs of the MLI product, which is a CMHC product. And the reason that one kind of pushed out to me was because you get 95% loan to value, 50 year amortization. So I decided on the next one, I wanted to do something that would actually allow me to take them on the out and burr, just like everybody wants to do, but on a bigger scale. So basically, I started targeting buildings that were in downtown core areas that CMHC really likes. And the one thing I know everybody hates and I hate is the LTB. So basically so, I want again, to avoid maybe, the landlord. Maybe yep. define that we yeah. got listeners it's from all, all over North America. So yep. 
Define the acronyms, please. Sure. Yeah. So the LTB is the landlord tenant board. And here in Ontario, it's a very Ontario, restrictive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very restrictive bunch of people. People go years without rent and they still can't solve it. So we basically wanted to avoid that entirely. So on our first investment, what we did was went and bought a actual commercial building. And then we were going to do an actual, like a mixed use residential and keep the commercial aspect. But we knew that way, if we bought it commercially and did the conversion, we wouldn't have to deal with the LTB. All of the leases that were in place were all month to month. So we basically gave 30 day notice to those the tenants that were in there. And then we basically had them out. And now we're starting demolition and everything on it. So so that worked for your commercial tenants and your residential tenants? because No. It's so, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So the building we bought was actually just commercial. It was eight okay. units of commercial right downtown. So basically, there was only three tenants in there, which was great. It was already pretty vacant. So those three tenants, we served them. And then now they're all out. So now we can start actually getting in there and doing it. The really cool thing that we got to do was Chatham, which is where this building is. They abolished for all the downtown core parking requirements and density requirements. So those are usually the big ones that people have to get minor variances for, and it goes and takes forever. They mm-hmm. abolish that because they want a lot of development. They need a lot of residential housing. So basically we got to avoid all that. And now our permits are just straight in approvals. There's no, we're not waiting for anything, minor variances. We're not doing any rezoning. It was already there for mixed use. So we're maintaining the mixed use nature of the building but we're designing it for CMHCMLI. So basically for that kind of thing, you need to have 70% residential, 30% commercial. So we designed it literally to, I think, 29.3 was like our commercial aspect. So we were right there. But yeah, it was a unit commercial. We ended up being able to fit in 11 residential apartments and then maintain those three commercial spaces on the storefront, like right on the main road. So it was a lot. It was a big project. We got a great yeah. price on it, though, so it made sense. And, uh, and where where yeah, are you along in this process? So right now we closed. We had a hell of a closing. So we actually did bank financing with it, and they pulled out the week before our closing. So oh my God. We, and you guys are the mortgage brokers that you got pulled out. I know. For Christ's sake. It happens to us. Yeah, it yeah. happens to <laughs> us too. I promise. So yeah, that was a big scramble. We had to get an extension on close and we ended up closing privately, but it worked out great because the way we closed it, they allowed us to have hundred percent financing. We utilized some collateral from a JV and yeah. we got hundred percent financing. So we purchased for 700. Our renovation is 1.2 million. And they're covering the whole cost. So we got a $1.8, $1.9 million so, mortgage on so it. So you closed when? We're, we're September the that 14th was about right now. July 25th, I think, something around okay. there. So, so month since month then, and a half we basically. Ago, yeah. Yeah. What have you done yeah, since? And since then, yeah, we had to wait that 30 days. So we had to get those tenants out. So we waited that 30 days. We have, obviously, when it comes to these kind of bigger renovations, we have our designers and everything, HVAC, electrical, mechanical. So they're still working. We're almost done targeting end of September to have all those and then apply. But we had to give time for everybody to get out. So what we did, so we're not wasting time waiting on the project, we actually went ahead and started demolition. So we have about five of the eight already demoed. That way, as soon as we're ready to go, we can get the framers in there and we're not waiting for the permits. So we did it that way. It, It made the most sense. It sucks because... We have to provide all that capital up front. We don't have access to our capital within the mortgage yet. But as soon as we get the permits, that opens up the draw amount, and then we can start going right away. So it worked out pretty cool. Uh, So far, so good. Uh, Still waiting for the city So what are you anticipating with this project, time-wise, to get it all completed and ready for rent? 
So basically, we're hoping now that we've been pushed back basically a month because of that closing. Initially, it was going to be about nine months. So the beautiful thing is I partnered with one of my own clients. And the reason I partnered with him is he's a master electrician, but also does all apartment, like full-size 150-plus unit apartments. So he's got all of the contacts. So like we were able to piggyback off kitchens and use the contractors for drywall, framing, all that good stuff. So we're still kind of on that target. We're hoping basically by May, June, we'll start the refinance process. But through winter, they're going to be working the whole time. So we're hoping that May, June, we'll basically have one month to lease it up. And mm-hmm. I have a lot of clients down in that area with multifamily and everything's flying right now at the rental yeah. like rates we had. So I was very conservative on all my underwriting numbers, made sure that we were basically good to go. So that is the timeline right now. And it's, it's moving that way, which is good. The one thing I'd like to add is basically when it comes to these little cities, the really cool thing is the community improvement plan. So the CIP, that was advantageous for us. So what they're actually doing for us is five years of tax forgiveness. So we don't have to pay the $25,000 property tax for five years. Yeah. They're doing our facade 50% they cover. Okay. They also gave us a $60,000 grant. Yeah. To keep it pretty just because we're right in the core. And then basically a $60,000 grant. And then there's up to about an $80,000 additional that you can get back on rebates and stuff for construction costs, permits, development fees. So there's a lot when you get into these small cities because they want all the development. So that's what we've figured. We're like, we're going to keep targeting these small areas already. And the really, really cool thing is the competition in that area to buy buildings is actually a lot less than you'd think. You'd think somebody that has a building down there is going to buy the other building. But one of my best friends owns a lot of buildings downtown Chatham. And his issue is I was offered that building at 300,000 five years ago. Like there's no way I'm going to pay seven. So it's kind of cool because now it's like, okay, yeah, they got, well, they got other old prices stuck in their head. Huh? Oh yeah. yeah. They got anchored down hard. So the cool thing is now is that all of those other buildings are now up for grabs and we've already been talking. And once you get down there, everyone's kind of friendly, right? In those little areas. So it's pretty cool. Now we have all Hey, well, let me ask you a question buildings. here, Nicholas. So. Yep. Forgive me, I forget the price, but I think it was like uh-huh. seven hundred and some grand purchase price, one point two million for construction and renovation. So all in, you're yeah. in, give or take two million. Is that yeah, right around close. It's like one point eight, one point nine. Yeah. Okay. Early days yet, but what's your yeah. anticipated after repair value on this property? Yeah. Once you're kind of going for the the refinance. What yeah. You guys so the, it's gonna be obviously the really cool thing with being in the multifamily side is when you do these construction projects, you have to get an actual as complete appraisal. So we got our as complete appraisal and it came back at 2.95. So that's what go. all of our lending was based on. So it's a about million, a million dollar a, lift. A million dollar lift. Exactly. So there the cool go. thing is, is, and that's why we targeted the CMHCMLI is because it's such a significant lift that we want to take almost all of it out so we can redo this again once mm-hmm. we proved concept. So basically, we'll be able to get 95% of that and take that back out. So, you know, give or take, we'll have about a 2.5, $2.6 million mortgage takeout. And so we get to pocket around, hopefully, we'll get to pocket around about 600 grand when the project's done from CMHC and put that into the next one. So All right. that, was, uh, that was a lot. That is fantastic. I don't blame you for wanting to do a bunch more of those. Let's switch gears <laughs> a little bit, if you don't mind, Nicholas, sure. so that we can give give our listeners some value around the the capital side of things, because... Over the last year and a half, you getting this fire hose of, of experience and, and training yeah. and everything. Maybe walk me through what are some of the uh, the biggest challenges that you're seeing like mom and pop real estate investors facing right now. They want to buy a property yeah. and do a burr, put in a suite, put yeah. in a carriage house, something like that. What are some of the issues that you're helping your clients through these days? And what tips would you give people to kind of be prepared for that and, and be able to avoid those in the first place. 
The hardest thing right now is if you're on the residential side, and we were really talking about this before this whole crunch happened, on the res side, it's ratios. So the problem with this is if you don't have active income, there's not much that you can do to really help right now. And, you know, back in the day, you could do basically a four and a half times. If you want a very rough way to figure out what your mortgage amount would be, would be about four and a half times gross household income. And the issue now is that number shrank to like three and a half to 3.7. So just today I was doing an application with someone who wants to buy their first house. She makes 78,000 as a nurse. She can only qualify for around 220 to 250,000, which is nuts. And that's with one car payment. Like you literally know consumer debt other than a car payment. So the main thing is they're getting kind of phased out. And so when it comes to trying to figure it out, you're going to move to the B side. The A side just doesn't make sense at a certain point anymore. So the B side, the disadvantage obviously is going to be you have to put 20% down. So it's like a catch 22. You can't qualify on the res side because of your ratios. So you move to the B side. Well, okay. Well, I'm talking issue. about investment properties. I'm not here talking yeah. about somebody buying their, their own personal residence. So no, definitely any yeah. rentals too, though. Any rentals one to four, you're, if you're on the A side, you have to worry about ratios, right? So our biggest thing is on the commercial side. That's where we're seeing everybody go. So multi unit, like it is the easiest way to spread it thin. They look at it on a net operating income, a capital approach, and that's it, right? So kind of like the states where they, they do all their loans based on the actual DSCR, that's where you're going to excel right now. But then you run into the next issue, you need 25% down. So it's there's always something, but on the commercial side, if you want to scale, you got to find more units. Like it used So to maybe be, just remind people work. that aren't super familiar with it, what's the threshold, yep. what's the difference between residential and commercial for financing sure. in Canada? Yeah, for sure. So basically, most banks and almost every bank, except for a couple, will look at a one to four unit. If it has one to four units, you're going to be on the res side. As soon as you get to five plus units or five units, you're then considered the commercial side. So there's a lot of advantages to being on the commercial side. The number one is in a time like this, when people are selling their houses and they can't afford them, they're tanking everyone's value. So you have your person beside you sells their fourplex for 200000 or what you think yours is worth. It doesn't matter what you think it's worth. It's whatever the comparable is yeah. going to sell for. Where when you get to the multifamily side, now you get to control it because you increase your income, you decrease your expenses, you get more value. So it really has to do with making sure you're optimizing, you're doing your rental increases. The main thing I see with mom and pops is that they feel bad or they don't want to increase rents because, you know, the tenants have been there forever. But then you're only suffering yourself because now you can't refinance if you ever get into trouble because your building's so undervalued. So the main thing would be making sure you're, you're doing all your increases you're doing strategic renovations and getting market rents and just making sure that you're optimizing every asset you have, because right now it's hard to really get out of loans and it's hard to get into new loans. And, and we're seeing it now. People are trying to requalify and they're hit with a 7% commercial rate. Like, it, And there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So that's the biggest crunch we're seeing right now is rates. Uh, it's just the increase in rates. We're seeing it on the private side, commercial side, residential side. Everybody's getting the same kind of crunch across the industry. But I would say, Gone are the days of triplexes and even sometimes quads actually, like quadplexes actually qualifying for debt. So now it's, you need a five unit, a six unit, a seven unit, and it, it helps. Or you, you, or also you get need to, some partners on board who do qualify. A hundred percent. And that, well, that's me, a whole other topic. This. What's that? I said, that's a whole other topic. You want to get the JVs and all that creative. Well, I do a little bit. So, something. so you're talking about yeah. people moving over to commercial. Now the challenge is coming up with 25% down. So maybe compare and contrast how lenders and banks are looking at where you're coming up with the 20%, 25% down. Well, let's focus on the on the commercial side first. So commercial side. how could we as mom and pop real estate investors partner up with somebody, do a joint venture 
where we bring the deal to the table, we bring the team to the table, and we bring on the joint venture partner largely to bring on the capital and perhaps help qualify for financing. How do you see that working these days? For sure. So you still kind of run into the same issue where if, if someone's not on title for the property, they have to be on title if you want to bring cash, right? When you're on the commercial side, then if they're not on title, they have to be a smaller than 20% owner of the actual corporation. They can still bring the income and they can bring in all the, the money that we need for down payments. But as soon as you pass that 20% threshold, you come on title, usually most of the time. Yeah, so let's, the let's main... say that's not an issue. They come on title. For sure. So then the main thing is anybody in a commercial deal can really bring the money. If you partner with somebody at that point, you're going to be together. You're going to have probably a shareholders agreement. You're going to set up a corporation. You're going to buy that asset and hold it in a holding company. So at that point, you can partner with whoever has money. And that's what a lot of people are doing. There's less of the the proof of down payment and isn't as, you know, there's not as much scrutiny as when you're on the residential side. They want to see it. So it doesn't have to be Sometimes, sitting there for 90 days and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So some of those things kind of get mitigated on the commercial side. They still do. They still have to adhere to the same regulations. However, it's like 30 days and they'll be like, okay, well, it's good to go. I can't remember the last time I've been asked to really prove down payment, to be honest, on like a commercial commercial deal. And I work with clients that have mutual fund trusts. So there's obviously that's a whole crazy memorandum and all that good stuff. JPL or GPLP, those are another way you can get into it. So a joint partnership and a, a limited or a general and a limited. Those are other creative ways people go about doing it. And that's, I, I guess, if you listen to podcasts, that's probably the main way that people do it as a GPLP structure. Uh, especially and really the bigger deals just, if they're starting to syndicate things exactly. and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, but on a typical like mom and pop, you're going out to buy a 10 unit with your friends. Everyone can pool their funds together as long as everybody's a shareholder on the company. And it's pretty simple. And that's what we're seeing the most. Like I'm, I just did a deal with six people on it. So everybody kind of shares in it and it just allows you to keep building and going. And then you can use everybody's income because at the end of the day, the bank does look at the building to qualify for the loan, but they do look at the borrower's covenant as well and say like, can they support it if anything went wrong? So that is a main, a real thing to think about as well. And I've seen a lot, a lot of JVs in the last two years, not ask the right questions of investors or other partners that they're thinking about. And then you get into bed with them and you realize that the credit score sucks. They don't actually have any money. And those things all drag down the application because when we go to pull credit and it's sub six, they're instantly going to say, hey, like what's going on here? And we've had to take people off shareholders agreements. We've had to get them out of the corporation for a bank to even look at it and qualify the loan. So that's an important piece. Everybody thinks it's yeah, because everybody thinks commercial, the bank, it's all on the building and you're because that's what people have been sold on. Hey, you know what? Your your credit situation doesn't matter so much. Well, yeah, it still does. No, it right? does. Your income, your <laughs> oh, it, credit, still, it does. still matters. Okay. Yeah, especially even when you go like CMHC financing, everybody thinks and everybody wants CMHC because of how big the loan to values are and how big the amortizations are, but it is the hardest financing to get. And mm-hmm. with reason, you get the best financing. However, that's where you really credit, bio, what they've done in the past is all going to come to light and you better have a good file because they get thousands of files. So when it comes to things like that, pay attention to the credit. Unfortunately, it follows us for our whole lives. It's one thing you don't want to drop below like a six. Like if you get below six, it's going to be very hard for you to get any conventional financing. So that's what kind of on the commercial side. So we, you were talking a little bit earlier on about the, the exciting project that you're working on, that you're, you're getting up and running and that you guys wanted to avoid the landlord tenancy board as much as possible. But it sounds like at the end of the day, it's still going to be a multifamily property because that's what they're looking for more of. That's for sure. So you you are at the end of the day, going to have to deal with the landlord tenancy board with your new tenants. But I guess, you know, one of the big advantages is 
you're getting in people fresh. You're not inheriting yep. any bad tenants. You can pre-screen people. You're going to have a brand new product that's spanky new, demanding top dollar, top rents. Yep. And you can just yep. be a lot fussier about who you get into those properties. What, do, what are your guys' plans for renting it out? Are you going to manage that in-house or or bring on yeah. property management? So my main thing is we're running a business. So like we are definitely going to be doing property management, like outsourcing property management. It doesn't make sense. Like, and I just had this conversation at a meetup. You're already factoring it into your numbers. So you may as well just keep your numbers and go with that and hand it off because it allows you to do way more. I know for sure I myself between having the mortgage business plus trying to do this, I don't have time to deal with someone calling me at 12 o'clock. So I would rather hand that off. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's a business expense. And I think most people don't remember that real estate is a business. If you're, if you're treating it this way, I mean, it's a business. So there's going to be expenses. You're never going to get your full, your profit, like write it off. Know it's gone. Don't even think about it. And that's what we're going to do. That's our approach on it. The benefit of, you know, we get to deal with the LTB, landlord tenant board. However, because our units are all new build units, technically, we don't have the same rental guidelines that like an existing building does. So back in 2018, they came up with the rule, you know, anything that's new after that fact, you can raise the rents as much as you want. So it's not that we're going to be these shark landlords that are raising the rent, but what it does do is gives you another tool to be able to raise the rent if you have a trouble a trouble tenant, raise the rents to a point that they can't really afford. And then that way, now you have a case of the LTV saying, listen, like these guys aren't paying the rent. They're not able to stay at this building anymore. And that's a tool to get them out. Because at the end of the day, landlords aren't trying to screw people, but there are actual tenants that are professional tenants oh, that definitely. know the system. So and like, it's just landlords. one more tool, 100%. Yeah. So it's just one more. And then one last question here for you, Nicholas. So mm-hmm. given the fact that comparatively money is so much more expensive than it used to be and property prices are so much higher than they used to be at the moment right it it hasn't balanced out at all yeah what are you seeing in your opinion being the most effective strategies real estate investing strategies today in this environment so the what what you're doing is brilliant so you're taking you know you're you're changing the use of a downtown property and creating yep. massive list and and all that kind of good stuff. Is there anything else, any other strategies that you are seeing that work today in this environment in Ontario? Yeah, definitely. So in Ontario, the thing I've seen the most, honestly, is the student rental game is still really strong. So a lot of local municipalities are trying to crack down on it. But student rentals, there's again, it goes to CMHC. If you're a strong borrower, there is student rental financing through CMHC. The main thing I'm seeing though is just student rental cash flow. And uh, a lot of it's happening in like North Bay and it's happening all the way, even in Timmins, just buying high cash flowing assets right now at a low purchase price is what a lot of people are doing. They're starting to branch out. We're seeing a ton of Ontario. So, so by that, are you talking about like a single family home that's been converted into student rentals? Converted, or, yeah. yeah. Or multi, like they take a bedroom, like a, a quad and they're, and they're doing multiple beds within the rooms. And then all of a sudden now you have eight beds that you're charging 600 bucks per, per month, right? Yeah. So compared to charging a thousand, you make an extra two per, per unit. The other thing is honestly, I know we're talking about Ontario, but Alberta, that market is is firing. I, I'm seeing a lot of my investors move out of Ontario to go over there just because yeah, the lax uh, landlord tenant board over there is not nothing like here but specifically in ontario i think a lot of people are just moving to multifamily that's the number one thing everyone's making that push a lot of people within the last year have done their refinances to be just capital heavy and ready 
And that's the main thing I'm seeing now is people are buying multifamily units. They understand that the financing is more in control. I think naturally people do it. They'll start with a single family, then they buy a triplex, then they buy another triplex. And then they're like, okay, well now I have three roofs that I have to worry about. Let me just buy one sixplex and get rid of the other ones. And they just slowly level up. But yeah, student rentals and multifamily are the ways that I've seen. Yeah. And and what what you're doing, like doing a massive burr, I see, I've talked to a lot of people doing those kind of things, but also a lot of people are getting into build to rent. So they're doing development deals from the ground up because again, the government's tending to really support those kind of endeavors. Awesome, Nicholas. Time flies when you're having fun. Let people know the number one way they can get a hold of you. Yeah, definitely. So you can find me on Instagram, The Mortgage Architect. It is the same across all platforms, but Instagram's where I'm most active. So if you want to reach out on there, you can go see. I have all videos and reels just on multifamily financing, investor-based know-hows and to-dos. So go on there, take a look. And if you have any questions, just feel free to DM me. I'm on there every single day. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing your experience. It's been great. No, of course. Thanks for having me, Dave. All right, everybody, take care, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. This episode is brought to you by MoneyPartnerFormula.com. Our Money Partner Formula service allows you to raise all the private capital you need to do all the deals you want while we handle the hard stuff. We offer reliable and affordable done-for-you marketing services that get you investor meetings booked without all the work. So go ahead and check out the website right now. And then feel free to schedule a call with me and let's take your portfolio to the next level. Again, that's moneypartnerformula.com. Watch investor meetings pop up in your calendar. We handle the rest.